was chilling. Truth. And that's why I just tried my money to murder my mother. I didn't what I had to face what I had done ever. He killed 33 times. I'm a king, man. I decide who does what and where they do it at. Next time you see me, I will kill you. Are you ready, Johnny? Yeah. It's fine. <clears throat> All right, guys, so what's up, and welcome to The Chilling Truth. I am Corey, and I'm looking at Johnny on webcam today, actually. We're doing it a little different, which is uh, not going well. I guess I could say it's kind of a fucking pain in the ass. But anyway, uh, a while back, we covered Wesley Allen Dodd, and uh, it was a disturbing episode, to say the least. Uh, still haunts me to an extent to this day. Uh, if you don't remember, back when we covered it, Dodd was a child-murdering serial killer who killed three young boys in the Vancouver, Washington area. Uh, he was eventually caught because he tried to abduct a young boy from a movie theater and drew too much attention to himself while trying to do so. And through a series of just random events, uh, I came into contact with a girl named Anna, who her father is retired detective C.W. Jensen, who worked on the case and interviewed Dodd whenever he was in custody. And we actually have the pleasure of speaking with him today. So uh, how are you today? Uh, should I just call you C.W.? I don't know if should Mr. Jensen. That, that which... is absolutely, absolutely fine. Okay. So uh, thank you for sitting down with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, this is the first like detective interview we've ever done. Uh, so it's cool to have you on here with us talking about this just terrible person. Yeah, yeah, yeah you summed that up pretty good right there. So I guess uh, my first question would be, what really got you into law enforcement in the first place? Did you want to be uh, a, an officer when you were younger, or did you kind of just fall into it? You know, I kind of fell into it. It sounded kind of interesting, and I was you know, 20, 21 years old and went down and took the test and got hired at 21. And, um, you know, became a street cop for several years. And then I worked undercover. And then I took the uh, detective's test and became a police detective, which was a promotion. You had to take a test and you got promoted, make a little more money. And it was an interesting job. And uh, did you, when you became a detective, did you have like a specific, because I know they have like homicide and don't they have like other different like categories? Did you want to go into homicide? No, they have, you know, all sorts of different things. So the first six months I got promoted, I worked on the swing ship, you know, afternoon ship in uh, Burberry property crimes, which which was very good um, for any detective because you interview a ton of people, do custody interviews on a ton of people that officers arrest, so you get used to talking to people. And then I wanted to go to narcotics in the worst way because my best friend worked narcotics and my lieutenant thought the world of me and said, no, you're going to homicide. And, you know, I guess in some ways it changed my life. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of my next question. I mean, when you got moved to homicide, could you have ever imagined that you would end up catching somebody like Dodd? No, it was, um, 
know, I've done a bunch of cases and, you know, lots of bad guys and stuff like that. Um, but, and the funny thing is, the week before the dog case, I got a case downtown Portland where a guy killed another guy and robbed him and stuff like that. And we had already talked to the bad guy. We didn't know it at the time, but we'd already talked to him in our, you know, interviews and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I was just plugging along, working the case. And I had got up on Monday morning and read in the newspaper that a little boy had gone missing in Portland. And I had a little girl at the time <laughs> who you've talked to. Mm-hmm, yeah. And, and um, I thought to myself, thank God I don't have to do that shit. Right? <laughs> and then <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want any part of that. And, and I got to work a little bit early for whatever reason. And my boss came out of his office all stressed out. And he goes, what are you doing? I go, well, Larry, I'm working a homicide case from last week. If you remember, there's a dead guy that I'm working. And he goes, well, I just need you to look at this case. I go, what is it? He goes, it's a missing kid. I go, Larry, what what are you doing to me? He goes, just just look into it today. And, you know, it changed. And as I've told you, it changed my life. It just turned into the worst thing that you would ever want to do. Uh, we've read extensively into it, and I can tell you, just from reading his journal, I feel like I need to take a fucking shower afterwards because oh, he's just uh, I, man. I, I, I don't, I, I don't blame you at all. It is, it was filthy. So you say that you you had worked obviously you worked homicide cases before you got to Dodd. So would you say that anything that you worked before Dodd's case prepared you for it, or was it kind of just like a like a culture shock, being like this dude is fucking horrible. Like I've never dealt with anybody this bad. Well, you know I had done you know crooks killing crooks and people killing their husbands and wives, and I did the very first gang drive-by killing in the Pacific Northwest um, in 
in all this and, and there's this enormous pressure and you're going, Mother of God, <laughs> if I don't figure this shit out, there's going to be more dead fucking kids, right? I mean, it, it's, it's horrible. And um, so we, we um, the first day I was, you know, I knew I was overwhelmed had another Portland cop detective join me. And then when we found a body in Vancouver across the river from Portland, then we got two Clark County guys, great detectives. And then we got a FBI agent from Portland and an FBI agent from Vancouver. Because the FBI has little tricks up their sleeve. They don't do a lot of homicides, really. But they've got all sorts of technology, even back in 1989. I mean, they're good with that stuff. So it was great to have those guys, too. But Dave Trimble from Clark County and I were the lead detectives and, of course, in charge of the direction of the case. Right. So I guess you could easily say that you were very emotionally tied to this case, given that you're a father yourself. And plus, I mean... We've talked on here about when someone kills, say, a prostitute back in, you know, like the 70s or whatever. Like a lot of times police, especially in the larger cities, would be like, eh, you know, it's, you know, they're transient. They come and go. We don't even know if they're dead. But when a child is killed, you could say that it's like the most dead person. Like, you know, people are up in arms over a child being killed. So you, so you would you say you had a, a very strong emotional connection to the case? Because my daughter looked like Lee. I mean, looked just like him. Four years old, blonde. Um, and so it was it was really difficult and emotional. But you know, you meet you meet the parents, you talk to them and they in, in, in any case, I mean, it doesn't matter if your daughter's a prostitute and she's gone, you know, sideways over the last 10 years. It's still your daughter. And you go talk to these people and, you you know, you feel bad for them and, and you want to reassure them, I'm going to do everything I can to figure this out. But when you've got a little child and in 1989, when Lee disappeared, there had only been, I mean, I've been a cop for since 78 to 89, so 11 years. There had been one other kid that disappeared. Holy shit. That we, found, that we found out. So, I mean, it's very rare. I mean, you know, if there's any, you know, bright spot, it's that, you know, kids don't get snatched off the street that much. I mean, it really doesn't happen. But... When it does, I mean, you can imagine every day in the paper, every day on the TV stations, I mean, everybody was losing their minds about this thing. And, and you know, another thing people might not realize is that being a homicide detective is a small fraternity. You know, most police chiefs, most commanders have never been a detective and certainly never been a homicide detective. 
Right, they're just like solve it, you know, just they, get it done. They just don't understand, so never think that every police officer is a very good police officer. I mean, not in a bad way, but that they're not homicide detectives or hostage negotiators, or they haven't been at a shooting. You know, they've been good cops, but they haven't had those tensions. And um, so, you know, you go in and you go. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a pretty big deal. We're doing the best best we can. And, you know, so there's, I wouldn't say it's boilerplate on that case because it was so off the wall. But, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out, well, you know, we got to find someone that's associated with Vancouver, Washington and Portland, Oregon and must have a car, must have this. You know, you kind of, you kind of try to figure out. We had a great psychologist, psychiatrist from Portland, give us a um, uh, psychological profile of what he thought the guy would be like, which was money. And um, <laughs> yeah, hit the nail on the head, right? You're, you're doing everything you can, and you're working 12, 14 hours a day, but day after day. After day, nothing is happening. You're not finding anybody. And so it gets so incredibly stressful. I can't even, you can't imagine. And of course, if you're a parent and you're doing this case, it also stresses you out because you love your child and you know that his parents loved him and they're horrified that he's gone. And all they're caring about is that you do something about it and you really, really don't know what to do. You know, you're making shit up as you go along, right? Right. You know, you're just kind of going, well, why don't we look at this? Why don't we look at that? Why don't we look at this? And then um, one night, I think it was a Monday night, um, I looked at my partner and, and the team, I said, guys, we need to take a break. We all need to just take a knee, go home, get a little bit of rest, come back tomorrow, we'll hit her again. And I was upstairs in my house, and I think I was watching Monday Night Football. Uh, but I get a phone call from Dave in Clark County, and he goes, hey, Camas, which is a little town on the Columbia River, east of Vancouver, a guy tried to grab a six-year-old in a movie theater. And so amazingly, the supervisor on the scene gets there, and he thinks, wow, this is weird. And I got to jump back, because in September, this is November, in September, two young preteen boys had been stabbed and killed in a park on, I believe it was Labor Day in September. So it was really weird. And, and you know, that's a whole other tangent because, of you know, I thought it was involved, but they didn't think it was involved. But anyway, and then we have Lee gone. And 
this guy goes, hey, this is kind of weird. So don't talk to this guy. Just, you know, get his ID and um, we're going to call the task force guy. And so they called us and Dave calls me and it goes, what do you think? I go, man, we got to talk to this guy. He may not be involved because, you know, you get copycat crap and all this kind of stuff. So you don't know, but you know, you've got to talk to the guy. And I go, okay, we're going to roll. And we, I met him um, off I-5 and we rolled to Canvas and got ready to do the interview with him. Um, set up the room because I liked, I liked to set the room up, you know, in a certain way. And um, we didn't want to say anything about homicide or anything like that. We just said, hey, you know, what's the deal on this kid at the movie theater? And, you know, he, a lot of times crooks want to be cooperative and they'll tell you all sorts of stuff, not the meat, but they'll tell you all sorts of stuff. I've been bad for 20 years. I've done this, I've done that, but I wouldn't do this and I wouldn't do that. So you kind of get into this, you know, cat and mouse game. So would you say that Dodd didn't necessarily want, because we just covered BTK. Uh, we're doing a three-part series on him. And that dude just wanted all the publicity he could get, writing stupid fucking poems and letters to police. Uh, Dodd didn't really nece- he didn't necessarily want any attention, right? He didn't he because I mean, killing a child doesn't necessarily get you to be the coolest guy on the prison block. Yes, but once we arrested him, he wanted to talk to every swinging dick. So did he seem proud of what he had done or just satisfied? Radio, television, (laughs) Oh my God. He wanted to tell everybody his story. That's crazy because typically guys that kill children, they just, they don't want to be known. I mean, even John Wayne Gacy denied what he did up until the fucking day he was killed. He still didn't admit to killing those kids. So it's just, it's odd that he was willing to talk to outside sources other than police about his, his crimes. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows really what it was down inside him, but you know, he always, after he told us the horrible things he did and then we, you know, tossed him off and, you know, people were coming in and wanting to talk to him. He was, you know, explaining why, even though there's no explaining, but he wanted people to understand that he was sorry and, you know, all these different kinds of things. So he wasn't altruistic, right? He he wasn't doing anything for anyone but him. Oh, no, he's a selfish piece of shit sociopath who can feel nothing except causing pain to others. Yeah, we talk about these fuckers all the time. They're all the same, you know, just... They're monsters, in a sense. You know, and... You know, to your listeners... um. He was 
fucking geek, to be honest with you. Thank you. That's what we try to push here is that they're fucking losers. Like, all, every one of them, they're just, they're not cool. They're scary, yes, but once they're caught, they're just fucking piece of shit losers. They're not, they shouldn't be yeah, I mean, touted as, like, anything else. Yeah. That's what we see with a lot of killers. I mean, like I mentioned Gacy earlier, I can think of him in particular. They fall through the cracks of law enforcement time and time again. And then, you know, by the end of it, Gacy killed fucking 33 boys. Do you think, because I've read Dodd's journal extensively. uh, Do you think, because he has very clear signs of escalation. Do you think the one, the escalation he outlined, he was always going to end up murdering a child unless he had been picked up for something else before he got to that point. Cause it's nobody's fault that, you know, he had this escalation, but do you think it always was going to end up that way? Do you think he would have been able to control anything? You know, the the interesting thing since, and I have to say, I've never talked to anybody about this case that has read as much as you have about this case. And, and the diary is horrible. And Oh, it's god-awful. It's the worst thing I've ever read. <laughs> if you're writing a diary, it's your private thing. You don't think it's going anywhere. So when he was writing those horrible things about, well, I'd like to dissect the kid. I'd like to cut him up. I'd like to, I mean, it was, it was so out of bounds. And... <laughs> But he was writing that for himself. He wasn't writing it for me. He never knew he would meet me. Right. And so um, he was being honest. And he was going to do literally Nazi-esque Heinrich Himmler bullshit, if you know what I'm saying there. Yeah. He was going to do concentration camp shit on children. And even after... I caught him, and he was sentenced to death. Um, he was saying, hey, if I get out, I'm going to kill motherfuckers. I'm just telling you. Which is honestly the worst way to get parole. <laughs> right? The worst like, way to do it. <laughs> the only thing that scumbag ever did right was taking the news and being honest. Fuck yeah. That's it. Besides that. I just shot him. Just, oh, <laughs> if I should have just been killed as a baby like Hitler, just fucking take him out as a baby. Fuck this guy. I mean, he, 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 he
I mean, really. I mean, there wouldn't have been a loss. Right. So uh, that brings me to his hanging, because I do have a question about that. His claim that I read was that he killed Lee that way, so he wanted to be killed that way. But the way it was framed was that he was like a martyr, kind of like a, he felt remorse. But do you think it was a sexual thing for him? I feel like he wanted to be hung so he could splooge one more time. I think that um, I'm no expert, but ligature was used in all three killings. And then when he had a choice of ligature or the needle, he took ligature. So I think anyone would, I mean, literally anyone would go, and eh, there must have been a little something going on there. Which is just not justice in my eyes. <laughs> no, I understand completely what you're saying. And, you know, maybe it would have been better just to say, well, you know, screw you, we're going to, you know, give you the spike. But um, that's Washington law. And it hadn't been done in like 30, 40 years. No one had taken the gallows before God. Yeah, I believe it was, uh, he was the first one hung there, hung in the United States since 1965. So there it had go. been a minute. There you go. So he has a, you know, he has a little, little deal there with some uh, notoriety. But, yeah, well, fuck that guy. Again, he didn't do it. think he had the empathy to think that way to think that oh i deserve this i don't think he felt that way at all well like like i say the one thing about him is once and the um the defense um when we went to trial it was more motions to suppress than the trial the trial was a beta complete um and then the defense attorneys really cranked it up, and there was one lady on the jury that they thought they could affect, and maybe she would vote no on the death penalty, because he didn't give a shit. I mean, honestly, he didn't care. And, um, and, uh, but, you know, she rallied, and she did the right thing, and, and he got the death penalty, and then he said, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to appeal it or do anything, and, and it was, I mean, we arrested him in November 90, 1989, he was executed January 5th, 1993, so less than four years, three and a half years, bam, that's quick, man. That is, yeah, that's very quick on death row. I, yeah, boom, boom, boom. I feel that with, because Dodd, just reading his journal, you can see he lived a life of fantasy. He taught all he talked about 
was what he wanted to do to children. So once I feel like once that was off the table completely, because once he's in prison, he's not getting a hold of another kid ever, no matter what he does, unless he escapes, which he's not going to do. So he was probably just like, just fucking kill me, dude. Like, I have nothing like that's probably all that was keeping his little piece of shit heart going. You know, like it's just that possibility. Yeah, and you never know. I mean, even Hitler probably liked puppies. So, (laughs) you know, right? Maybe maybe in his scumbag, filthy fucking heart, he thought, you know, I'm a piece of shit. So, you know, why make an effort on this thing? And, and, um, and, uh, so he, you know, he went down and everything. Well, that I appreciate about him. Who knows? I, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe he had a glimmer of, I like puppies in him. I don't know. Um, but he knew and he said, I am really bad and I will kill if I get out. So, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, who wouldn't have put him down? Right. Why would you even? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he was horrible. I mean, a horrible, horrible person. So, um, so it, we know that with the BAU, with the FBI, they, they, they categorize killers as organized and disorganized. In my opinion, Dodd is a strange hybrid of both of those because we know with the Near Brothers, it was sloppy. It was somewhat planned out, but it was more or less chaos for him. And it was a double murder, which is crazy anyway. Um, but then he he goes on to kill Lee, which was calculated and thought out, and he took his time. And then he goes on to violently attempt to kidnap a boy from a movie theater in the middle of the day, bringing back his disorganization. So would you say that he would be a hybrid of both, or would you say he's one or the other? Well, I, I think, as we said, he developed. I, I just, as I always do, I, I, I just want to say, the Near Brothers, those two beautiful little boys, Dodd told, I can't remember if it was, which one of them it was, but he said, if, if you run away, I'm going to kill your brother. And right. those kids, those kids stood there and took it because they wouldn't leave their brothers. And that is heartbreaking. And I mean, just, uh, I mean, it's heartbreaking that those kids would not leave their brother and run. <laughs> they just stood there and ended up dying. But to your, you know, to your, to your question, I think that that was kind of random. It was just he kind of ran into him, and then, and obviously you've read everything, and and so once that happened, then he starts to plan another one, and then after Lee. He starts to plan, like I said, even more diabolical, awful things that he will do, quote, when I have more time. And and he wanted to get a video recorder. Uh, I, mean, I mean, he evolved. He was 
getting worse and worse and worse. And like I told you, when I had asked my FBI agents to, could we get a profile? And they said, I can't get one for four months. I go, I'll have, I'll have four dead kids in four months. Right. So it's like, you got to act was, quick. Yeah. You don't understand the, I mean, people, you know, you watch TV and you're going like, oh, okay, all the cops are tracking down the murderer. But in real life, it's like, Jesus Christ, we we got to figure something out here because it's not going to get better. Right, until he's off the fucking street. Right, and you have no idea who is on the street. It's got to be a, such a daunting task to be assigned a case and be like, now I got to sift through thousands on thousands of people, and it's probably going to be the person I least suspect anyway. Uh, or just some random guy that, you know, gets caught trying to you know, take a kid on one day. That, that's interesting because I was going through hours a day looking at sex offenders. And remember, sex offenders are generally sex gender specific. So I wasn't looking at people that raped little girls. I was looking for people that raped little boys mm-hmm. that maybe had a connection to Washington and a connection to Oregon and had to have a car because no one's, you know, you don't kidnap a kid on a fucking bus. <laughs> or like a bicycle, put right? him in a basket. Yeah, yeah. And here's the fare for the four-year-old. Here. In my no, fucking I mean, duffel bag. Yeah, that's that, nearly as tragic as a child being murdered.
Like Dodd and Hitler, they should have been murdered as children. Exactly. Exactly. So do you think that if Dodd, because we, we talked about how he was escalating and he was evolving as a murderer, do you think if he had been more subtle in the kidnapping that day at the theater, he would have gotten away with the boy and he could have gone on to 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 do more murders other than just the boy he took that day? You know, I think it was a bridge too far because he's, I mean, this is a small town and a small theater and his mother and his mother's boyfriend were there and this little kid, he's six years old, but he was a tough little guy. So he starts making a fuss. You know, he's not going to leave. Lee was led off with, hey, you want to go to McDonald's? You want to you want to hang out? And so Lee goes, oh, wow, it sounds, I could use a cheeseburger. Yeah, let's, let's roll. Right. Where in, in the movie theater thing, the kid goes, oh, no, this ain't, no, 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 no. Yeah, he's like, fuck off. Yeah, he made a mess, and then his, you know, Stepfather, boyfriend of his mother, goes running out to see what the hell's going on. And then Dodd runs out, gets in his car, and amazingly, kismet, karma, whatever you want to call it, his piece of shit, Pinto, breaks. <laughs> That's down. right. It broke down. Right I down. forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so he runs up there and goes, hey, he needs some help. And then he drags him out. And um, the kid, the guy was a hero, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, a wonderful person. Never met him, but a uh, wonderful guy. And um, so that's how everything, that's when the avalanche starts, you know, rolling down the mountain. And um, so I wanted to ask you this question because we spoke on the phone the other day. I know a lot of the questions I'm asking you are kind of repeats of those, but I wanted to get them recorded. Um, And I know this is a difficult question, so I kind of saved it towards the end. And if you don't want to answer it, that's fine. I don't want you to have to relive any more of this. But okay, okay, good. So when you were called out to. They, because you, you said an officer came in, you said, "Hey, they found a body," and you were like, "Oh shit, it's Lee's body." When you told me you walked up to him, and you felt you noticed that the the grass was sticking to your pants, so you you disconnected a, a tiny bit. But when you saw his body and you confirmed that it was Lee, did any part of you feel some type of relief? as a parent who now knows the fate of their child, albeit a bad fate, but now you know he's no longer missing? Or was it just like total emotional overload? No, not really. As I walked up, it was, um, you know, I knew, I mean, I knew. I mean, it, it wasn't that I was walking up and going, oh, you know, this is Lee Isley. Um, I walked up and I knew, and it's like I told you, it was November and I'm, you know, wearing wool flax and sport coat, tie and everything, detective stuff. 
And um, I just remember I put my head down because, you know, I was kind of understanding what, you know, the next 10 or 15 feet would bring me because they had been very careful. You know, the guy that had, the hunter that had found the body then called the cops. So there was like one little trail. No one had messed with anything because, of course, afterwards we did a very, you know, a, a grid search, very, you know, important. And, um, but there was this little trail. But I looked down as I was walking up. I looked down at my pants, and there was, you know, the little weeds and stuff, they stick to you, and especially wool, and, and I looked at my pants, I go, God, I'm getting all this shit on my pants, <laughs> and it, it, it wasn't a big deal, but I mean, it was a weird thing to look down and go, oh, well, I'm you know, getting all this stuff on my pants, it's no big deal, but, and then I just picked my head up and, you know, walked another 10 feet and, you know, looked at everybody and go, okay, all right, let's, um, let's get this done because it was my deal. And that's the other thing I don't think people understand is when it's your deal, when you're the guy and it's your responsibility, you don't have a team. You know, you love other people, but you're the lead. I mean, it's your case. And so, you know, if there's anything that I want anybody to think about is when they read about a homicide case or something, you know, there's there's a guy or a couple people that that's, that's their deal. I mean, it's their responsibility. And if they fail, it's their responsibility. And that's a horrible thing to happen. There's nothing worse an unsolved case. Right, I can totally understand that, especially when it is a child case. Right, and like I say, if this was a 36-year-old drug dealer in Old Town, Portland, no one would care. No one would even blink an eye. They wouldn't read the story. But if it's a four-year-old kid, people lose their minds. I mean, they, I mean, and who wouldn't? I would. From what I've read, it sounded like you kind of did, as far as you know, wanting to solve it so badly. You had such a such an emotional connection to it. Um, I had a quote here that I had looked up that you said, um, "If somebody said I can erase this from." From your memory, I'd say put it on me. I take it. This case has made me cry a whole lot of times. 40 murders I've probably done by that day. I can't tell you what the second most horrible thing was. I mean, there was no contender. It was the worst thing I ever had to do. Would you still say that that's true? I mean, even though, even after working other cases after, after Dodd? Oh. You know, this is like, um... Well, we won the um, playoff game, but we lost the Super Bowl. I mean, this this was the Super Bowl for me. Mm-hmm. It was there's there's a second 
interesting. Um, but this one was in so many ways, just there was so much going on and trying to, to do so many things and setting up searches and setting up interviews. You know, I, I brought in, I had probably 50 detectives, FBI agents and stuff, and I go, okay, I want you to go and, you know, you know, talk to everybody in the neighborhood. But here are the questions specifically I want you to ask. So that was one thing. And then it was, okay, we've got to do this. You know, so not only are you trying to figure out who could be the worst human being in this area and how do I get there? And that's, that was the toughest thing is that you have, you know, it's not just some simple thing. You've got all these different things you're trying to figure out and go, well, maybe this will help or maybe that will help. And then, again, as it turned out, we got lucky. Right, very lucky that day that he... Uh, that he fucked up, really, honestly. I mean, that's how a lot of these guys end up being caught as they do everything they're going to do, and then one day they just fuck up. I mean, look at BTK. He asked if he could send a floppy disk and not be tracked, and then they were like, yeah, no, sure, you can send it. We can't track you. And then they tracked him right away and figured out who he was. So these guys are morons. They're 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 criminals for a reason because they're fucking idiots. Yeah, I mean, they have a skill set that's very bizarre. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I, I got to be honest. I issue reading anything about homicides or police work or police shootings, all the things that I've done. I, 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 I don't enjoy it. I, it doesn't, I, I don't, you know, some of it, the videos and stuff, and if somebody has a little experience and has some, you know, tactical advice and stuff I think well that's that's kind of interesting but people will call me or email me and go hey I watched this really interesting show about a homicide in wherever and I go I don't care I don't <laughs> want to know I, I mean because I just what, what does that do for me I've done 50 what is what is watching somebody else's? I appreciate the effort. I'm proud of them, but I, I don't, you know, I don't. And, and then people go, well, you know, I I would have figured that out. I go, yeah, no shit. Yeah, you would have. <laughs> yeah, when all the you know, answers are there. <laughs> you you would have racked that son of a bitch in 12 hours. <laughs> yeah, and then you get people calling like, hey, can I interview you for my mediocre true crime podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, like I say, I found it interesting that you would actually spend some time and you knew enough about the case. It's not just like, I've done a brilliant interview about this case, done a TV show, all yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, I gotta say, you're pretty familiar with the case. Well, thank you. We try to do our, our due diligence over here as best we well, can. That's 
So I've got uh, two more questions. One, because I know the answer and it's funny. Uh, so, and then the other one is just kind of a closure thing. Uh, did you attend his execution? No, but I'm not, you know, we're not going there. <laughs> you don't want to tell me what you were doing during that time. I told you that story, but I'm not. Okay. In confidence. All right. I got you. We won't go into it. I'm sure you weren't too excited about that again. Tom Brady. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, but everybody wants to be a homicide detective because it sounds great. 
Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, people just want, they think it might be glamorous, but it's like, no, I don't think so. I don't think it would be at all glamorous. It seems like it'd be a, a, a living nightmare. Like I say, some cases, steak and bacon. Other cases are horrible. Um, you know, like I, like I say, the bombies that get killed by the daddies, that's sad. The dope dealer killed by the dope dealer. That's just a bad business deal. You know, so, you, you know, there's there's a gradient on, you know, what's bad and what's not bad. Right. Um, you know, it's just that I got, like, the worst bad, and I, I wish I hadn't, but like you alluded to, I said, you know what, I guess better me than someone else. Maybe someone else would have been hurt more than me. Right. Yeah. You got to have a certain amount of uh, resilience to. Uh, you got to. You know. Every now and then, you got to take a bullet for the team, and you know that was the bullet I took. And I, if I, I wish I hadn't. Like I say, wish I hadn't gone to narcotics instead of homicide. My life would be completely different. But you know, we don't get choices in life. So would you, so you'd say it still affects you now? I mean, do you still have nightmares or thoughts of Dodd or anything like that? Um, I did a television show that you've seen. Yes, multiple times, actually. On, yeah, on Investigation Discovery, Real Detective, my episode was Malice. Um, and it was a weird deal. Um... Somebody on my retired police Facebook page said, hey, you know, I never worked homicide, but um, this TV show is looking for detectives that were, you know, kind of affected by a particular homicide. And I go, well, okay, well, I, I got one. So I got a hold of them. And at first, they said, it's too horrible. It's awful. We, I mean, it's just the worst thing we've ever heard of. Killing little kids and all that kind of stuff. But then they um, got a hold of me and, and said, well, can you tell us more about it? And I go, well, I, you know, I may have the case out in the garage somewhere, some of it. And it was the hardest year I mean, it took us a few months to to talk about it and do, you know, Skype calls and all that kind of stuff. And, and I was going through this and a lot of stuff, your body, your mind just makes you forget. So when you start digging through stuff and you're going like, holy shit, this was, this is worse than I remember. Right. And, and, um. We went up, um, they flew me up to Portland, and uh, we went out by where we found Lee's body. Oh, wow. So they really just threw you in it then. Oh, we, I mean, they, they, I was very proud of them. They really got into it. But we went out there, and they're going like, do you remember exactly where it was? I go, I, I don't know. And, Finally, I just told him I can't do it. I, I can't. 
Wow. Yeah, I can imagine. We, we've got we to gotta turn away. I'm just not going to be able to do this. And um, so, I mean, when I watched the show, um, and I think they did a great job, the actor that played me was really good, much better looking than me, obviously. <laughs> yeah, they probably yeah. did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and um, but they did a great job. I mean, always remember television, even reality television, which I've done a ton of, is always fake. Oh you know, yeah, always, of course. Yeah, you know, you always give a little hip check in there, and um, but you know, it was it was pretty good. But they got to make a TV show. You can't. You know, it can't be plotting like real life is and everything like that. But I thought the show was really good. And interestingly enough, as an aside, I've had people get a hold of me on Facebook. I've had LinkedIn and people, I mean, Australia, Africa, Europe, Canada, everywhere. And they're just so affected by the show because this child was such a sweet, beautiful child. His photo is just uh, the picture of Lee that I see anytime I think of him is the most innocent looking blonde haired child that I can. He's like a poster child of innocence when you see his face. these people 
And, you know, I mean, there's all these little things about actually being a real detective that is a lot different than television. <laughs> oh, I can definitely imagine uh, it was. it's not as easy as many people think. But uh, we're actually running uh, pretty close on time here. So we did manage to get through um, almost all of the questions that I had uh, for you. And so we do, uh, again, want to thank you for sitting down with us. I know that, uh, you know, you've done this case over and over and over again. And so, uh, yeah, it was nice for you to want to relive it again with us. So uh, Johnny's microphone is fucked up for some reason. He can't. He say anything, but he didn't say. He says thank you. He texted it to me. He says thank you, and uh, it was uh, it was very informative. So we really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, as an aside, it's just weird that my daughter would. Um, I mean, one, I didn't know my daughter listened to true crime podcasts. I mean, I. <laughs> Yeah, she uh she's uh been messaging me in these past few days. She's a very nice girl. She's a wonderful woman. <laughs> and a good mother. Absolutely. So thank you, uh CW. We appreciate it. And uh I like I said, uh, yeah, I'll text you as soon as it airs and uh I'll probably try to send you a link and you can go listen to it on your phone. Yeah, and like and like I say to everybody, I just did a a story on a TV news station in Portland yesterday on a case from 30 years ago, my second worst case. And I always tell people, hey, been a hostage negotiator, shot and killed a guy. You know, I've done I've done everything you can even imagine. So if you ever have questions, I mean, even if, just, just like, hey, this guy told me this, is this, you think this is valid or not? I mean, hey, feel fair to call me anytime. I, I don't, I, I mean, you know what I mean? Absolutely, I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'll, uh, I'll definitely do that. So, you know, if you want to do something on what's it like to, you know, be in a shooting or what's it like to negotiate with, with hostage takers, which I've got some pretty good stories on that. And, um, you know, feel free just as a resource. Yeah, maybe you we'll know. make this a, maybe we'll make this a running series and uh, we'll get the whole. Yeah, I, I, I hope you guys are <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Maybe you can talk to uh, ID Channel and help us out with that a bit. <laughs> All right, brother. All right, man. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Take care. Yep. Take care. All right, bye.